on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city all right, welcome back to Straight from the Source. It's been a minute since we've done a, a Straight from the Source. Uh, last time we did a Straight from the Source, uh, Dean Evison was gainfully employed by the Wild. Actually, technically, he is still gainfully employed by the Wild. He just gets to, you know, go golf and go on trips and things like that while getting paid. Um, now the new coach is uh, John Hines. Uh, Joe Smith, my colleague here at The Athletic, uh, who is in, coming to you from Nashville. He looks uh, like he had a, a really fun night down on Broadway and off-Broadway yesterday seeing karaoke. Joe, I haven't seen you a lot since uh, since Sweden. You look younger. I don't know, because I shaved, I guess? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the... I, don't know. Uh, I feel like I've aged... Like Ryan... Like- Ryan- so yesterday at practice, Joe, I didn't even tell you this. So I'm out on the ice. I don't see Ryan Hartman anywhere. So I make a text to somebody in there uh, in the organization. I'm like, hey, where is Ryan Hartman? This is weird. This is two days in a row. I haven't seen him on the ice, even though he's suspended. You know, you're still obviously allowed to practice with your team. And then all of a sudden, I see him on the ice, and he just has short hair, totally shaved. I don't know if he's trying to just make him look self look innocent for the next time he's in front of player safety or what. Um, but then I texted the person back that I texted to say, Hey, I see Ryan Hartman now. And he's like, Oh good. Because I didn't even know how to answer this. Cause I figured he was out on the ice. So, uh, so uh, you're kind of like Ryan Hartman. Now you look really, really young. Well, I appreciate that. I will keep that as long as I can. I feel like I've aged like five years in the last month, with all the travel and stuff like that. And, but, uh, but yeah, good. To, it's been a busy week for both of us, Mike. Uh, I think busier than we initially thought. Maybe when we booked these trips, right? Uh, probably wouldn't have <laughs> stayed over in Michigan with my family after the Detroit game on Sunday had I known what we found out, obviously, that night and the next day about Dean Evison being uh, let go by the Wild and then quickly hiring John Hines, which we kind of forecasted in the, one of our eight mailbags this week. Hopefully, you guys read that amidst <laughs> the chaos. Um, our, our eight revised mailbags. Yes. So what do you, what did you sing in karaoke yesterday? Well, this is going to disappoint you because there's a place that I went all the time on Broadway. It's called Wannabes, which is perfect for a karaoke bar because everybody's wannabes, right? So I, I had a beer or two at at a Tootsie's um, and I went down to Wannabes preparing to sing a song and it was closed. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if I'm not there enough, but they closed it down. So um, I'm going to have to oh, revise no. my plan and sing uh, post game tonight as long as it's not double overtime. Uh, so there's a third floor at a spot. I think somebody messaged me on Twitter on my checkout tonight. So if you're in Nashville, you might see me. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, there's no doubt that we'll uh, that you'll run into Joe on uh, on on Broadway. Um, let's talk about the week uh, of uh, big time news here. Joe uh, might as well not waste any more time because uh, we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, with um, the uh, departure of Dean Evison and the and the. Um, not only the arrival of John Hines, but Patrick Dwyer. We'll talk a little bit about him and what his role will be. Um, you know, I sat down with Dean uh, yesterday uh, at at Keys down in in St. Paul, and man, is he in good spirits! Like, I wish I if I ever lose my job, I I hope I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I hope I move on as easily as him. I mean, he is. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people would not want to be seen in public when you're as visible as the former Minnesota Wild coach. Um, but you know he's sitting there. He joined hot yoga again. He, uh, you know, he's he's drinking vanilla lattes with an extra shot of vanilla right in the middle of the public. Um, I was even thinking as we were as we were sitting down, Joe. The one, like he was so open in this interview that I think it gave fans a real look into his personality. And this is the type of stuff that I wish he did more often when he was the coach of the Wild. I think fans would have liked him a lot better. Uh, you know, he really it's not his style to sell himself. Um, and one of the stories that I wish that we got to write about him that we never really got is just to hang out with him at a Broadway show. I don't think Wild fans understand how the affinity that this man has for Broadway. Every time that we go to New York, he sees two or three shows in the same day. Um, even here in the Twin Cities, he has been to every single theater multiple, multiple times. Um, we never got a chance to write about his incredible relationship with his mom. Uh, and and the influence that she has had on his life and things like that. So there's just a lot of things like the 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 reaction to the story that I wrote today. Fans loved his personality so much. You almost wish that he let us write those stories when he was coach. Yeah, I don't think a lot of coaches realize that 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 they. I know, you know, Dean's not want to be a big self promoter. Didn't want to be in the headlines. You know, like maybe some other coaches that 
have been around. And I even went to Kamloops to do a story on his kind of formative years. And he didn't want to talk for it. He talked a little bit, but he didn't want to because he wanted to focus on his entire staff. And I, I get that. But I think he, fans got a better appreciation about where he came from, how he coaches, why he does certain things the way he does. Because you know that's where he came from. That's how, how he was as a player. So I think I think coaches miss that. I think they don't want to be too revealing or open themselves up to anything like that. But it makes you more human. It makes you more weightable. Um, and I think you have a better people have a better idea how he communicates. You know, the Freddie Goudreau stuff was great in there with you and with him and and he going back and forth. Uh, there was a lot of guilt in in that room. I, I talked to some guys today too. I know you did yesterday. Yeah. There's it's, it happens every time a coach gets fired because the players aren't going anywhere. Nothing's to change with them. But some man lost his job with the family, right? And, and they'd have to move and uh, pack up his apartment and all that stuff. And Dean's fine. He's making a few million dollars and be able to and take some time and travel and hopes to get back in the game again. I'm sure he'll be a, a coach again, in the national hockey league, but still that's someone getting, you know, publicly let go and losing their job, which, um, I and that's, and not just him. I mean, Bob Woods lost his job and he's not making $2 million. So let me promise you that. And, um, I mean, he'll be fine as well. He's coached for a long, long time. He'll be, he'll coach again. I mean, this, he, not only was Bob Woods here for seven years, remember he was in Anaheim, he was in Washington. He's been in the AHL for a long time. He was up, uh, coaching and managing up in Canadian juniors as well. Um, he, he was here so long. I remember, I think it was the Chicago draft. I remember talking to him for the first time there, if I remember correctly. And, uh, um, you know, in sort of the entrance way there of, uh, how you get in to that building. Um, so, um, and, and they're really mature, both of them, um, after losing their job, like they're, they're, you know, I, I, I wrote about, you know, the conversation that, that Bill Guerin and Dean Evison had and, and how they had this really fantastic, uh, sort of really healthy, uh, forty-five minute conversation after he was let go. But apparently, it was sort of the same way with Bob Woods. Like Bob Woods, I think said to Bill Guerin, "Look, I get it. You know, we I could not find an answer here. We could not figure out a way to kill a penalty, and unfortunately, it cost him his job." But I think people um, need to remember that Bob Woods was the assistant coach here for a long time. There's been a lot of good good defensemen that went through here, and that is his day job. PK is one little part of it. His job is to coach the D and guys like Brodeen and Spurgeon and Suter before that. And um, there's, you know, Middleton is first. There's been multiple, multiple Faber. really good defensemen. Faber. They got him, yeah, Faber. They got him ready for the, the playoffs last year, right? He was a guy who played two yeah. NHL games and they, he trusted him and, and encouraged him and got him. And I mean, yeah. Faber doesn't need a lot of help. The guy's a stud, but like, you know, you still have to get prepare a rookie to, to, to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, I think the credit goes. And you look at all the young, you look at all the great defensemen that he coached both in Anaheim and Washington as well. So I know that um, sometimes these are just names to fans, but these people did really quality work inside an organization that, yes, hasn't had the playoff success, but has had incredible, um, you know, regular season success throughout their times here. And so, um, you know, it, it's a it's a loss there as well. Um and so, you know, but, but look, we, we both know there just comes a point where you got to do it. And, you know, I, I think that you and I have talked a lot, quote, quote unquote, off the air about whether or not Dean should be fired or shouldn't be fired. I think both you and I were the, under the impression, like if it were me, it's not my money, it's not my decision. If it were me, I'd let it play out, see what happens at the end of the year. Maybe you get a top, top draft pick for the first time in ever, um, uh, you know, with this organization. Um, but obviously, when you look at the way that the West has been down this year, the edict from ownership to make the playoffs, the fact that there are so many winnable games on paper coming up. I mean, you're still playing teams that you should be better at, but you look at Nashville, they're on fire right now, tonight's opponent. Um, but but I, it was it was sort of like, if you don't do it now, you're probably never doing it, or the timing doesn't make sense to do it. Agreed. And I think I, I was with you, Mike, who I, th I thought that, you know, I don't think Dean Evison was the problem here. I mean, I think he was, you know, the whole group's part of the problem, I guess. But, you know, you have a, you say as a coach, you want to get the most out of your players. So that is your job. But uh, this team is a lot better than 30th in the league. Uh, I don't care if they're not made, I think the best team in the league, but they have a lot of talent, enough talent in there to be a much better team than this. So I think, and then this is what happens when you, you fire a coach, the, the wake up call of the players. You saw there were no passengers, as Matt Bowley said the other night. Like you see, after Dean Evison, I know you asked him, you watched the game, it's probably like, where the hell was this two days ago? You know, like, if they play yeah. like that in Detroit, maybe they still let them go, but, like, they didn't change, we met the wheel there for the game. They just played the way they're capable of playing and, and, and played really well. 
uh, Dean is, you know, he was always funny. He he would proudly would tell us that he didn't read our stuff. And he told me, um, you know, I, it, to me, it wasn't off the record. It's just not something I put in the story, but it was really funny. He goes to me, um, you know, he listened to the press conference and he heard the first question I asked to Billy was something along the lines of, you know, a week ago, I talked to you in Sweden and you said Dean was safe and he can't go out there and play for the guys. Like what changed in the last week? And Dean said to me, he goes, he goes, thank God I don't read you because I had no idea that he gave me a vote of confidence. And if I knew that he gave me a vote of confidence, I would have been probably freaking out all week expecting to be fired because that's just the nature of pro sports. Isn't it funny how often soon after a GM gives uh, a coach a vote of confidence, he's, he's on the chopping block. Yeah, you, you never hear a GM like, I'm going to fire this guy in a week, right? This guy's, I'm like, I'm really yeah. glad, you know, like, you know, that's what, you know, we'd all love for him to say just for good headlines. But, you know, he's, yeah. you know, he's, he's on notice, you know, like he's on life support or whatever, you know, like you can't do that publicly. But um, we will all write those stories any day of the week of uh, confidence for the coach. <laughs> like, we will happily write those. But yeah, it's. Yeah. it's but I will say this, um, Joe, uh, and I'll let you get to finish your point. D- like, Billy was not lying. Like, I think Billy completely never really thought that he was going to get to this point where he would have to fire Dean. But the reality is, is that they lost both games in Europe, even though they played better. And they lost both games since. And they're winless. They were winless in four since Billy read them the riot act. And it just felt like nothing was changing. And so there just comes a point where just, you know, for a win now organization, the losses just became too much. They did, and the, and the key word is not rebuilding, right? If they were in a rebuilding on the fly, which I know Nashville has been in recent times, like you let it play out, play your young players, and see how it goes, and then value for next year. But this is the roster that John Hines is going to have now. It's a roster John Hines didn't have next year. Maybe the year after that, maybe a few small changes. So it's not like you're evaluating to keep a guy or not. You signed pretty much your whole team. So I think it's got they realized or expected going to the year to be a playoffs team. And that hasn't changed despite the fact that they've underachieved. So if that's the way you see your team and view it, you tried the riot act, you had Dean call up players publicly, called them up privately. They've changed things system wise. And so this is the last card you can play. And if this doesn't work, then, you know, then it's probably even worse off at that point. You have to see what's the real, what's the real problem here. Yeah, exactly. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that and, and um, your column on Bill Guerin and, and all that type of stuff in a second. Um, let's just talk a little bit more about my sit down with uh, Dean. Um, you know, he, he like the one thing about that is that he is genuinely one. He wishes that he had the chance to coach his team with 15 more million dollars worth of cap space. The reality is, is that every single night the Wild go up against somebody else. They are in a much better spot. You know, I've used the Sam Steele Tyler Sagan analogy uh, way too much. I probably should come up with some new material. Um, the but he is convinced that this the future of this organization is bright because of the really quality prospects that Jed Brackett and his staff have have drafted. Um, that's one. But two, for what he has seen on the ice, when you have first of all a center that is an absolute, in his words, warrior and horse like Jewel Erickson Eck, who also John Hines could not have uh, been more impressed with in his first game. Um, but then also Brock Faber and Marco Rossi and what he has seen from them. Um, so that to me is interesting is that there's no sour grapes from this guy. He, he still is genuinely rooting for individuals on this team, wants to see Kirill Kaprizov do great, wants to see Matt Boldy score. We obviously know his affinity for Freddie Goudreau. He still really believes that the future of this organization is going to be good. And he could very well be right, you know, and it's obviously unfortunate he only had a chance to coach them, but it's hard to see through the weeds when a team is struggling so much the way they are. No, like I can see why Everson said that the future is bright. The prospects are coming. You know, you're up to Zdenov, Ogren. They'll be here probably next year. Uh, Wall sets a star in the making and, and goal. Um, you have the pieces here, so I think that's what why he's so bummed he can't be a part of it. And we'll see if John Hines can can get the most out of it. He said today is the most complete team he's taken over uh, in his stops, and so he has the talent to do it. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, yeah, let's move on to John Hines. Good segue there, Joe. Um, um, hopefully, I, I mean, I assume he believes that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did go to a Nashville team that had, you know, Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson and Roman Yossi and Matt T.S. Ekholm and UC Soros. I mean, hopefully that's not just a line. Uh, sometimes, uh, 
you know, sometimes you don't know <laughs> if a coach truly believes it. He, de- he doesn't have the, you know, Yossi and, and Soros, especially in Minnesota. But, you know, so far, so good. They got the, you know, the coaching bump that you often see in a first game. Um, you know, they, they played their best that we've seen them in a long, long time. Fast hockey, great goaltending, uh, outstanding special teams. Their PK was perfect. Their power play only got one shot and looked like it could have scored 10 goals on it. Um, at Boldy scored, Goudreau scored, Spurgeon was tremendous, Middleton blocked six shots, Kaprizov uh, looked more, again, like himself, just not scoring. Um, so let's see if that continues, right, Joe? Yeah, and that's the template, right? And I think what was important was, like, John Hines learned from when he came from to Nashville when he had fired their coach, and he said the tendency when you come in to a new team is to try to fix everything or try to fix all the different things that were wrong, you know, instead of just coming in there and just get to know them and tell them to play, get to their, play their identity, play their strengths and kind of let them kind of loose that way. Cause I think Freddie Gujo said today, it's like, they can't put a computer chip in my head and just all of a sudden teach me what you wanted me to do immediately. It's going to be bits and pieces, which he did yesterday in practice. He had teaching moments, a lot of stopping in the practice to, to go over things. So I think he went in with the mindset of, Hey, reminding them they're such a good team, running them what they do well, giving them two, three talking points, but overall just letting it go. Um, they didn't reinvent the wheel for that game against St. Louis. They just had the guys that played up to their capability. And if they can repeat it against Nashville, um, they have their first winning streak in about a month here. And I heard that right. You said Freddie Goudreau used that analogy? Yeah, Goudreau used analogies. You can't put a computer chip in my head and all of a sudden I'm going to know yeah. everything you want. Like Matrix, pre- right? You know, I'm going to know this. Yeah. Like You have to kind of start from scratch, you know, um, bits and pieces and lead them to the way that they want to play. Yeah, that's a really good quote. Um, why do you think, um, you know, we've we've discussed this. I mean, Bill Guerin has yet in five years to do a coaching search. Um, you know, he he fired Bruce Boudreaux. We thought he was going to do a coaching search that summer. Pandemic happened. He figured that was a good time to maybe just take the interim tag off. And you remember, I mean, he could have probably he maybe even had in his head. We're just going to let Dean coach uh, take it off, give him a year and let's see what happens. And then the wild were so good. He gave him the extension. Um, so he never did one there. Then this one, same type of thing. Um, you know, I'm sure he thought about other coaches, but as far as I know, he definitely didn't talk to any other coaches. Uh, this was a decision that he made Sunday night after the, you know, probably on the plane ride home, um, you know, coming back from a very disappointing loss in Detroit. And I think that he, the reason why you and I have been talking John Hines for a long time is it just was the most logical choice. Ray Shiro, his senior advisor, originally hired him in Wilkes Wilkesbury and New Jersey, and obviously, um, you know, Bill Guerin was him as a development guy with with John Hines as a development guy for a long, long time. Um, you know, what do you hear about John Hines? And but, you know, on the other hand, do you, are you even surprised that Bill hasn't wanted to do, wanted to do like a big, you know, expansive search? I'm not surprised that it's John Hines. I'm surprised they haven't done a, a full coaching search the whole time since the Boudreaux and the Abbasin before extension. But this is his guy. This is a guy that um, he's known for a long time. He believes in, has good synergy with how he wants the team to play. And so I think, you know, most times coaches, they do a coaching search and then they end up with the guy that they thought anyways. And I think if they did a coaching search, I think John Hines is a guy that, that he has a big belief in and a good relationship with. And um, talking to, to players who have played from this week, he says he's an excellent communicator. He's very detailed. Um, good with the young players, like uh, talked to Cody Glass today and he said that he got scratched multiple times last year and every time he went, he did, Hines would go there afterwards, check on, make sure he's okay, kind of build him back up again and then he took off. Um, so I think uh, excellent communicator, very detailed, um, prepared, um, has some really kind of fun, motivating speeches too at the right time. Um, he's actually coached every, <laughs> coached every single level, right? He's coached the rebuilding Devils, the game playoff team. He coached the really good underachieving national team that had their coach fired. And then last year he had a bunch of young players after they traded at the deadline, right. And had injuries. So they had like three kinds of teams that he's coached, I guess at this point in his career already. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. And a teacher. I mean, he was in Wilkes-Barre for a long, long time. And obviously um, they went to two conference finals. He went to the playoffs a ton there. And then he was with the U S development program for a while. Also coached a little bit at Wisconsin and Boston university. Um, he, um, you know, the, the, the one thing about him, too, is that individually, if you look at a lot of the players that he's coached, I talked to Ray Shiro about this. They've had career years under him. He coached Taylor Hall during an MVP year. He coached uh, Roman Yossi during a Norris year. 
So the one thing I'd tell Wild fans is just, you know, give him a chance. It's it's just the the reaction to this uh, so far has been uh, really, really like, I don't know if Wild fans who seem to some many uh, campaign for Dean Evison to be fired, thought that John Cooper was just miraculously <laughs> out there or something. Um, but uh, like, I don't know if you thought Dean should be fired and then were underwhelmed by this hire. Like, who do you think? To me, you didn't have to be a sports writer to realize that John Hines was going to be probably the heir apparent um, to him. Um, let's talk a little bit about Patrick Dwyer. It's somebody that I'm going to write a feature on in the in the coming days on the upcoming four-game trip that I'm covering. Um, I talked to Michael Murray, who's Iowa's GM and the assistant to the GM here in Minnesota, who, by the way, we should tap into more often, Joe. He's a great quote. He is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I talked to Michael Murray for the story, and they said that they were all blown away by him on his Zoom interview uh, this summer when they were talking to him about being assistant coach in Iowa. And the one thing that they all wondered was, could a former forward that played a ton of games in, at every level, including you know many, many, many games at the NHL level in uh, in Carolina, um, could p- coach the D? And that is something that we see a lot in the NHL, right? I mean, forwards that 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 coach defensemen, coach the penalty kill, and things like that. So uh, he gets called up, so to speak. I probably never thought that he'd be called up again as a coach. Um, gets go to Iowa, gets called up here. He'll run the D and the PK. Um, a little bit surprising, but right now uh, the Wild don't plan to replace him in Iowa. But they feel like not only do you have Brett McLean down there, but you have um, uh, Ben Simon, who is a five-year head coach with the Chicago Wolves down there. Um, they have Richard Bachman, who goes on the ice all the time. And then they're going to run their uh, their development guys down there to go on the ice every now and then. Uh, Cody McLeod, Matt Hendricks, and Brad Bombardier, who, as we all know, is a defenseman. But it, it was a little surprising to me that they don't want to replace him because right now they have you know the, a lot of the future of the organization are the defensemen down in Iowa, and you would think that you'd want to de- uh, you know somebody coaching um, them every day, just specifically. But they feel like they have enough uh, personnel down there. So Patrick Dwyer comes up here. Don't know a ton about him yet, but at least so far, whether he had any imprinted on it or not, uh, Joe, they played their best defensive game the other night, and their penalty kill went four for four. Yeah, the magic recipe, right? Somehow, as cooking in, uh, <laughs> cooking in Iowa, the recipe is Middleton blocking six shots, as Gustafson making timely saves. Like I think that was the thing Spurgeon too. Spurgeon like, looking like Spurgeon. Spurgeon, and like that's the thing they've been missing a lot this year is making the timely difference-making saves, right? And, and Gustafson's capable of it, but both he and Fleury have underachieved as far as their numbers are concerned. So it hasn't been all on them, but of course, like one or two saves a game that could really change the momentum. Um, like you saw last game, they were playing their butts off. They were dominant. Just if he gives up a leaky goal there, it's two to two, I think they lose that game. So um, yep. to have to have him come through like that, he's starting again tonight in Nashville. I think they're going to get the plan all along before Dean was like, go to was let had a ride Augustuson as much as they could give him a chance yeah, to absolutely. take the net. Um, nothing against flurry who will eventually get that record. It might not be for a while since I think Gustafson, he plays well, he's going to have the net as long as he can, he can, he can have it. Yeah. You and I are working on the story. Once he passes uh, Patrick Waugh, but it might run in freaking next season. I don't know <laughs> at this point, um, who knows? He's still five away. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, uh, Joe, let's go to some Twitter questions. Um, you got a ton of them, so I'll just kind of run through them. I'm doing it on the fly. Um, Jack Woolery, who every time he tweets me, I think of Chuck Woolery. You know who Chuck Woolery is, right, Joe? Yeah, from the uh, game show. Uh, love, uh, Right, Love Connection. Yeah, Love Connection, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when he used to do, like, all right, we'll be back in two and two, which was, like, cringeworthy. I knew that you weren't um, – I know you're younger than me, but you're not, like, way, way younger than me. So you No. Uh, all right. Uh, Jack asks, is it true the XL renovations may include club seating that is in the lower bowl? Um, I will be writing a lot about this in the coming days and explain everything that is going on behind the scenes. It's a very complicated uh, thing. Um, So, uh, uh, sorry, I'm laughing because our producer just sent me a funny message. Um, 
so uh, I'll be writing a lot more about this. But the one thing that Jack is referring to is um, the two different members. So like different season ticket holder holders. I think they call them season ticket members, whatever they do. Um, depending on where you sit, you got different like surveys sent to you. And I think the club level seating season ticket members got surveys with different options of where they might want to uh, have club seats. And I think this is just part of a survey. Um, you know, it's not a, a guarantee. It's just people, they're basically asking like where you want to sit, like what are you looking for in terms of your eventual options? So if that made sense, that didn't come out as eloquently as I was in my brain. But uh, trust me, I'll be writing a lot about this in the coming days. I've, I've done some sit downs on it. It's a complicated issue because they got to essentially go and work with the uh, with the state and all that stuff because remember, they don't own the building and all that. So uh, we'll be writing a lot about that in the coming days. Walter Norris, uh, who every time... If, I thought about Jack Woolery with Chuck uh, Chuck Woolery. Chuck uh, Norris. Walter Norris makes me think about Chuck Norris. Um, here we go. So who's going to run the PK? Have we learned our lesson with the passive uh, strategy? Um, we just mentioned Patrick Dwyer, but uh, Joe, I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game the other night, but they were a lot more different. They were. more aggressive. They were a lot more aggressive. I think that's why I'm um, <clears throat> aggressive earlier in the year and it didn't work out for them, right? They were making bad reads and bad uh, decisions there. So they went back to, back to a very, very conservative approach in Stockholm. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. We got that tight of a box in front of the net and just kind of gave a, a power play all the space in the world. So I think they're, they're going to go back to what they're capable of doing, which is a little more aggressive up top, um, you know, pushing down on the guy on the half wall. Uh, but that it's more about execution, right? You know, the blocking shots like Middleton did and Spurgeon did killing plays along the boards, um, denying entries. You know, I think they're going to be a little more aggressive in that respect. But I think a game like last game, you could give the whole unit a lot more confidence to where I think before guys were saying, like, it's like every time there's a power play, Philly's going to go in the back of your net. So all of a sudden, you can kind of change something with the game where you kind of feel to get your mojo back and say, hey, I, we can we can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tank for Eiserman asks, um, so we know Craig Leopold's MO is to make the playoffs at any cost. If Leopold had told Billy it was okay to stink these two buyout years, how do you think things would go differently starting back to the summer? Um, and the, the the rationale for his asking this question is, do you think that Billy, Billy still does the extensions? I mean, it's a good question. Obviously, we don't know. That, to me, is is sort of like sort of the contradictory th- ideas that management has had in his head. It's It's like, all right, you buy these guys out, it was kind of the perfect time to begin sort of a roster reset and start to, you know, maybe stink a little bit um, and, and try to build from within and set the table for all these prospects going, coming and things like that. And it just feels like every time this organization's had a chance to do a bit of a roster reset, they go and trade a bunch of players or let a bunch of players go, but then they replace them with win now guys Um, that happened when, when, Paul Fenton made all the moves for, yeah. you know, remember he traded, it was a good trade, Kevin Fiala from Mikhail Granlin, but he trades Charlie Coyle away, trades Nino Niederreiter away. And essentially going into that summer, the trades were awful, but then that summer they go out and they sign Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman, and it gets back into that win now mode. So they sort of passed on the roster reset. And then of course we know Paul was fired a month later. Um, then in comes Bill Guerin and it was sort of the same thing, you know, not only Parisian suitor, but then, Stahl and Dubnik and Koivu, and they've just always replaced them with these veterans. And in this case, Joe, they've really not only locked themselves up here, but they because of these no moves, there's no way to do a roster reset now. Um, and that to me is my biggest concern is that like it's almost disingenuous for us to continue to talk about all their prospects when there's no spots for them to eventually be. Like, yeah, Marcus Johansson will be gone. Maybe that's replaced by Danilo Europe. Um, but where are the other guys going to play? I mean, Marcus Foligno is here now for another four years. Ryan Hartman's here for another three years. Zuccarello, another two after this, which I, I get that one. Um, but it just feels like you just wonder if these prospects are sort of, again, being blocked out. If the agents for guys like Ogren and Kuznetinov in Europe are going to be really worried about whether or not they, they're, I mean, Europe, Ogren is signed, but the other guys aren't. You know, is there a path to them eventually being a national hockey league show? And those guys were drafted and developed to not be fourth line players, I guess, at the point, right? And I, I think you're 
the guys that we're going to see gone coming up are Johansson in a year. I think, you know, Maroon, Dewar, Duhame are, are probably not going to be part of the long-term picture here. So you might, you will have some forward spots there, but they won't be, you know, the top six is pretty much the way it is right now. Like Kaprizov and Zuccarello's resigned. Rossi's cemented there pretty much. Eck has been there. Like, so Boldy, like you can't put Boldy in the third line role. So there's not as many spots available for these guys to all of a sudden jump into. Now you can use prospects for trades as trade chips, which is something they could think of going forward. Um, many teams have done that before to get the extra piece, get that maybe that number really caliber defenseman. But um, for right now, there's not a lot of open spots looking in the next couple of years. Was there any explanation for why the whistle uh, wasn't blown when the goal was knocked off a few games ago? I think it was Duham uh, breakaway. Lucas asked that question. Uh, that was actually a rule that changed um, a while ago, where if the other, if the team, it wasn't ruled that the other player forced Duham to lose his edge and go into the net. And so they were getting tired of nets coming off the moorings and then the other team going on transition and having the, the whistle stop when and breaking up their rush. So basically the rule is there is that uh, you leave the net off the moorings and then when that team that's on the rush loses possession, that's when the refs blow the whistle. The problem in this situation, and this is one thing that I got to ask, um, you know, a referee or a former referee, is that... Um, I can't remember who the goalie was. Was it Gorgiev? It was Gorgiev. Alertly went to the bench for an extra attacker. That shouldn't be allowed because then the Wild, because then they're getting the benefit of having a six on five while the Wild, um, because they know that when they lose the puck, uh, that that the Wild can't score into an empty net. That should not be allowed. The other thing is, last I know, when you are a goalie and you cross the blue line, the red line like that, it's supposed to be a penalty. Um and in fact, if I remember correctly, Devin Dubnik got a penalty for doing the exact same thing Gorgiev did once, and he was pissed about it because he's like, why can't I go to the bench? So um, that's one, actually, I will check with with a ref there. But in terms of the whistle not blowing, that was correct. But there shouldn't be the ability then for the goalie of the other team to cross the red line and try to come on for an extra attacker for a six on five when the, when the Wild don't have that uh, ability to get the puck and shoot for an empty net. That should not be allowed because they're not, you know, to me, the whistle should then just blow there. They shouldn't get the benefit of that. Um, Walter Norris again asked, well, there slew foot by Sunquist uh, be looked at. Everything's looked at by the Department of Player Safety. It um, did not rise to the level of uh, discipline. Um uh, and we would have known that by now. So clearly that's that was the answer there. Um, what's your, your Wild Boys 59 who always asks great questions? Uh, Joe says, do you think Otto or the Islanders would hire Dean in the future if they fire, obviously, in uh, respectively, G.J. Uh, Smith or Lane Lambert? Or uh, what team do you potentially see for him? It's a good question. I, I mean, I, I think if they were smart, they would consider him. Like you, I mean, how many other coaches out there right now have the track record of a few hundred point seasons and stuff like that. I know the playoffs have, have been obviously an issue for Dean, which is why probably why he's not here anymore. But if you think you look at teams that I think Dean could fit a kind of the Islanders kind of style where they play a little bit, I think Ottawa might be more fun for him as far as the, the talent that they have. I think Ottawa would be very fun for him <laughs> and a much brighter. Don't you think a much brighter future? I mean, you look at that team. I mean, first of all, you got the star power and Brady Kachuk. You have great defensemen in, in, Jake Sanderson, Thomas Shabbat, um, a lot of great forwards there. I, 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 new ownership, um, new GM. Um, I, I think it would be a great spot for yep, him. And I think, you know, like, interesting, in your sit-down with him, he said he read or heard you ask Hines about, you know, preparing for this job. And he said he started looking at teams that were struggling. And, and I can guarantee you, Dean Evans is going to be watching some more Ottawa and Islander games uh, in between his you know, Broadway shows and his uh, golf sims. And he's going to be really watching these teams just to be prepared because those things happen so fast. There's no long, elongated interview process. It's like a really, hey, we want to interview you, but then, hey, you want the job or not? So he'll make a quick decision if he comes in yep. during the season. And just, uh, you know, just quickly going through the standings of teams that we could see maybe making coaching changes this year or over the summer. I mean, you know, if Toronto fails again, maybe Sheldon Keefe. Um, although didn't he get an extension by tree living before the mm -hmm. year, I think, um, uh, or at least a vote of confidence. I can't remember off the top of my head. I know my, our resident Leafs fan uh, producer would know the answer to that real quick. If you want to hop in uh, Buffalo, Don Granado. Um, you know, I got to think Marty St. Louis safe in Montreal. Um, 
Washington's having a much better year than I ever thought. Uh, you know, I could tell you that I know I don't th- see Lindy Ruff losing his job, but I know Tom Fitzgerald likes uh, Dean Evison a lot and obviously has a great af- appreciation for Bill Guerin. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, who knows what happens with uh, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh? Um, the one that team that makes a ton of sense for me, if a trade, a change ever happens, Joe, is Seattle. Um, you know, I don't think that they're going to make a change now, especially after the success that Hackstall had last year. But we know that Ron Francis and Dean Evison are very close from their days playing together in Hartford. Um, so, uh, so that one, that one's one to maybe eventually look for if there's ever a change uh, in Seattle after the season. All right, let's go through some other questions, uh, Joe. Um, ben Craig, great question. Is this year? Is this the year Ericssonette gets sulky uh, looks from us? really, really smart professional hockey association writers who just, you know, right away can just look at the ice and identify great defensive <laughs> forwards. Well, we have no choice. We no have sarcasm. no choice. We can't vote for Bergeron this year, though we might get some write-in votes. You know, you never know how that will work uh, with the way some of our ballots go. But uh, I think, like, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, just needs to be in that conversation once. And once your name's in that list of voting, then you're in there forever, it seems like. So you just need to get there once. And, and what's what's hurt Eric Sinek is he hasn't had playoff runs where people get to latch on and see how good he is against other teams' top lines. Uh, like Sorelli got more hype and and votes after he, the what cup runs that the the Lightning had because he, they saw him go up against the best lines and the biggest stage in the world and produce. Um, and now X scoring goals, which is apparently a a factor in voting for the Selkie, uh, his him scoring points. So. Uh, I think he's definitely deserving, and he, when you watch a player every day, you appreciate them more, Mike. I think you can go, you can probably speak to that as well. Um, versus pe- people who kind of come in off the road and just kind of see it every once in a while. But but yeah, I think he should definitely um, start getting more votes starting this year, and then maybe that'll uh, be a springboard for him. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, the the one areas where he's the two areas that he's probably got to get better at is one faceoffs and two faceoffs on the mm-hmm. PK. Because there's a reason why he's been on the ice for 11 of 23 uh, penalty kill goals. And if you want to be the Selkie winner, which the definition is great, great defense, best defensive forward in the NHL, you, you probably can't be on the ice for 11 of 23 penalty kill goals. I mean, you know, I'm no mathematician, but that's almost 50%. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just needs that needs to change. But I will say there's a lot of things that he does defensively that just it's hard to even you know, you don't get credit for it. Like he's just got great sticks. I mean, the amount of times that he makes a play in the neutral zone to break up a entry and things like that. He's just, he's a remarkable player. Um, Langerist asks, uh, with the player tracking data being a bit underwhelming, what's something you wish we could, would quantify? Um, I do think that I did that big story on it uh, before the season. I mean, this is going to be a constant evaluation, a constant uh, evo- evolution, I should say, not evaluation, of, of the player tracking. And we're going to see more and more things uh, start to be tracked. And the one thing I would love is shot assists. Um, Joe, that's something our uh, hockey news buddy that sits to the left of us in the press box does every single game. Uh, Dylan Lauks. Um, he, you know, it, to me, shot assists are very, very important, and we see it all the time. You know, um, you know, Zuccarello. I mean, the other night, you know, like Felino and Maroon just seem to constantly be, uh, you know, uh, setting up shots uh, with with really strong plays. That's something I would love to have a list of. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that doesn't isn't already tracked like i would like to have this story out there but i would love to have a more accurate scoring chance um <laughs> calculator because like i feel like they vary so much from site to site and i know it's a human element some you can ask eight coaches and there'll be seven different descriptions of what a scoring chance is so it's uh, uh yeah <laughs> you know what's what's high danger what's the, you know so i think those are the things that i've talked with matt sells before the analytics director of the wild and he's like how do you know it's a high danger if you don't have the, all the things that are on the ice? Like, how do you know is a guy screen screening the goalie? Is he, where's the angle of the shot? Like, is it deflected or like, you know, it's, is it, is it from East to West pass, you know? So all these different things that go into it, that you have more access to with data that the player puck trafficking has versus the public data, which we have based on counting shots from different, different locations on the ice. You know, one thing I looked up today or uh, LaPanta looked up uh, for, for me today 
You know, the other day I said nobody in the league takes uh, more penalties in the first minute of periods. Uh, correct. Uh, so the Wild have taken a league-high five penalties in the first minute of a game and a league-high eight penalties in the first minute of a period. Um, and it is just an absolute momentum killer. Especially, doesn't it seem like the Wild in their last couple of games take a penalty in the first minute of the third every single time they're trying to come back? I mean, it's just a killer. Um, all right. Effin Realist asks, how long of a leash do you think Billy has? If the team continues to struggle this year and misses the playoffs, does his seat just get hot? Does he get another season to try to right the ship? He just signed a new long-term extension at Mega Money. Um, he, his seat might be hot from the media and the fans. His seat is not hot internally. No. And that's, um, that, uh, if they miss the playoffs, he is back. He's definitely back. And like I think the focus of my column the other day wasn't that he's all of a sudden going to be like in danger of losing his job it's more so that you only have you know he's what fired three coaches now you know like um so i think you are are two coaches at least right so you only get so many shots at this to where it becomes the focus on you like he's done the buyouts he's made the extensions he's got his guy as a coach so i think you know this has been a long time coming for the wild to not win a first round series so if this continues a couple more years, then you start to get a little bit more hotter. But but yeah, like they that's where my column was focused on is that the attention and the scrutiny probably should come to him more often now that Dean's gone and he's got his guy. And if this doesn't work, then you're gonna see a lot more like criticism for for Bill Garrett on that. But a lot of good things he's done and the group is done that we're developing and the and the prospects and and all that stuff like that. But um it's the market's really starving for a playoff series victory. I can only imagine what the, what the whole city would be like if that ever happened. Hey, by the way, uh, one thing that was confirmed to me for the first time ever yesterday. So I think a lot of us have always assumed that Mike Yo's meltdown in that one practice was a calculated one, like sort of a, you know, planned before that he was going to freak out and storm off the ice. <laughs> um, and uh, so I tweeted about it yesterday because mini hockey on Twitter uh, said, joked that it was John Hines at his first practice and people actually took it seriously and thought yeah. it was John Hines when, and I just pointed out, no, that was a 12 year, 12 year old video of Mike Yo, And I tweeted it. Uh, it was confirmed to me via text from a source unbelievably close to Mike Yo that it was a calculated <laughs> meltdown. So that's the first time that I've ever had it actually confirmed um, from a source quote unquote, unbelievably close to Mike Yo that it was a calculated melt meltdown and something that was preconceived, <laughs> that it wasn't a spur of the moment that he was pissed in practice. So uh, that was just a way to try to get the guys going. Um, the filter, Russo's filter, uh, one of my 50 parody accounts, uh, says, uh, how do you, how do they get Marcus Johansson going would uh, go a long way to unlocking Boldy as breaking goal last game, uh, notwithstanding, which was a home run pass from Jonas Berdeen. What do you see from Marcus Johansson this year, Joe? Because it is a very different looking player than the one that was on fire after his acquisition last year from Washington. Yeah, he's just not as crisp or as smooth. Like his strength is his skating, right? And when he's at his best, he's moving his feet and he's kind of creating offensive zone and stuff like that. And I just don't, I guess to get sense, the confidence can be a little bit off when you're not playing as well. And just at that play in overtime and, in Stockholm, remember, like two on one comes down, he hesitates a little bit. Morgan Riley makes a terrific play to block the shot, goes the other way, and all of a sudden he gets scored on, right? And then Nylander dances him, and then they, they score win the game. So clearly, he's been an offensively gifted player in his career, is why he's lasted this long, been in so many different teams. And last year, he was so was good with Boldy to where a certain writer and columnist in this in the, in the market was champ camp campaigning for him to get signed to extension. Um, right away um and i think he still has the talent to to be able to be effective with boldy and and, and Eck, but i think he just needs to continue to use his strength to skating kind of needs one goal to build his confidence a bit to where he can get a little more of that mojo back and then uh go from there i remember the columnist who wrote about the cri uh, the goalie crisis at the start of the year last year too well he had to wait it a year i guess he had to wait it <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> i just say yeah I, I heard you didn't think i heard the shot at me at uh resetting marcus johansson but i heard it no that's just um, true we, we, we didn't do last year that the whole story idea what what i said was wrong remember we're supposed to do that story like what i've written that was wrong yeah and i actually told garen that once that we write the story yeah. like about the goalie crisis and kind of laughed he goes that'd be a fun read if you guys actually wrote a story about what, what you were wrong on so it's a long list yeah doesn't happen a lot 
Usually we're right about everything, Joe. Those were the only <laughs> two things that we were wrong on last year. Um, ben asks, uh, if you waive a player and send him to the minors, are you still responsible for his full cap hit no matter what? Example, Marcus Johansson, would the Wild still have a $2 million cap hit or would it be minimized enough to call someone else up? Not saying it would happen, just curious. So in, uh, you could dump 1.15 million, I believe is the number, if I remember correctly, in the minors. Um, so Marcus Johansson's on a one-way deal, as you mentioned, um, or that I'm mentioning, actually, you didn't mention. So you technically could put him on waivers. Um, if he clears center of the minors and you would be charged 850, it's 2 million minus 115, 850, yeah. So uh, that would be what it would be. Um, as long as one, one, five is the right number, you could always dump one, one, five. Um, uh, as long as the guy doesn't have a no move clause, which Marcus Johansson has a full no trade, but, but theoretically, again, totally theoretically, the wild are not putting Marcus Johansson on waivers, but theoretically, uh, that's the answer to your question. Um, let's see, I'm going to try to go through some other questions here. Then we're going to wrap up the show. Um, Jordan asked if we're live from Tootsie's, uh, this afternoon. Nope. I bet. I bet you wish you were live at Tootsie's this afternoon, Joe. Beautiful day out. Be nice to do on the rooftop. It's like it's a gorgeous uh, winter weather here. So uh, next time we'll have to do it. Well, the we'll have to do a live pod from the Sphere in Vegas. Like that'll be a good one. Yes, that would be a good one. Um, you're going to be there for Super Bowl Sunday. I hope. If I can find a hotel room, we'll find out. <laughs> For less than five thousand, right? a lot of people are asking uh, Joe about Darby Hendrickson and how he's lasted so long and things like that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know if this is like, like this is almost proof positive that Minnesotans will just turn on their own right away. <laughs> you know, um, doesn't matter who you are. Um, like Darby, Darby uh, Hendrickson. Um, you know, and and they're throwing this out there like he's the problem. Or, you know, and things like that. And and I get it. I mean, he's lasted, you know, several regimes and things like that. He's incredibly respected inside the organization for what he does in that locker room, particularly the way that he's able to communicate with young players. I mean, you know, sitting down, I, I talked about it with Dean yesterday, how he's the guy that goes up to players and sits down next to him and shows them the clip on the eye, uh, you know, goes and sits down with Marco Rossi and shows them all this stuff. And, you know, that is his sort of job is sort of being the liaison. Plus we see him in practice a lot of times sort of, you know, running the drills and, and things like that. He's not a special teams coach, at least at this point um, with this organization. Um, so that that's sort of why is that there's just a respect level in the organization for him, Joe. Yeah, like he he does his job, he does it well, right? Like you know, just because a coaching staff is a chain doesn't mean they take the whole, whole staff with you. Like you know, Brady Shabbat has done a good job with the goalies. Like you gonna know, like get rid of him because you get rid of the head coach. Like some guys are connected to each other, like as far as coaches and assistant coaches. But Darby has kind of lasted the test of time. And I always point to like Nigel Kerwin, the longest tenured video coach in the league in Tampa. He's survived. 12 coaches, right? I think we have the video coach because he was part of the first regime, you know, like, so if you're good at your job and he connects really well with young players, he's a good teacher. You see on the ice all the time. And it's not because he's a local legend, so to speak, or he played for the team way back when, right? Like this is because, you know, he has a niche and a role to fill in the, in the staff that if you get rid of him, you have to find another guy to fill that role. So unless John Hines came in with an ultimatum, I want to have my five guys on my staff. That wasn't going to happen. Yep. Um, all right. Tug Romsey, Romney asks, uh, what are your top five Minnesota Wild prospects, excluding uh, Wallstad? I think the top one right now, the top one is Danil Yurov. And then from there, uh, Joe, I would I would throw Damon Hunt in there. I would throw uh, Huznadinov in there. I'd throw Ogren in there as long as he could stay healthy. Hunter Haight, Riley Haight, um, players like Lambos, like too, like that? Yeah. Oh, Lambos. I forgot Lambos. So yep. Who's having a, you know, He's got to play a little bit better. He's starting to get there, I think. Yeah, those guys, like Riley Hyatt especially, he's been really kind of tracking up uh, Hunter Haight. Um, you mentioned in the mailbag on Sunday or Monday, some guys, and when they're going to be turning pro um, coming up. But um, but no question. And we haven't gotten to like Charlie Strammel yet. He was first-round pick this past year. He'll be at Wisconsin for another probably another year or so. Um, but yeah, as far as the top ones, it'd be Wallstedt, um, Yurov, uh, you know, Ogren Kusadinov, um, Hyatt Haight, and then uh, Lambos and some of the young defensemen there. And Hunt, obviously, he's got a chance to play this year, too. So we'll see. All right. Final question of the show um, is a question about Mason Shaw. And if we think that's one big factor for the poor PK performance so far this season, could be one. 
There's no doubt about it. And just energy and things like that. And by the way, Mason Shaw is a non-contact practice player right now in Iowa. So they are still targeting him for coming back into their lineup uh, after Christmas. And um, and that's really good. And just this kid coming off four ACL surgeries is amazing. Uh, but do you agree with that, that uh, Mason Shaw, that not just not having his presence and has maybe affected the team, but also, um, you know, their PK? I mean, he was huge in the penalty kill before he got injured. You know, like he... Uh, one of his strengths is what his calling card is. And so, yeah, I mean, you lose a guy that's just such a, a key piece of that of that puzzle, you're going to drop off. And I think he's just one of those culture guys in the room. He's one of those guys that's like a heart and soul kind of player that guys, the way he plays, he's such an inspiring figure, even though he's not a guy or he got which is why I think the, the Wild resigned him and want to make sure he's part of the organization and giving him a chance to, you know, hopefully for his sake, stay healthy for a while because he still has some some NHL career left in him. Well, hey, Joe, uh, enjoy the game tonight. John Hines has returned to Nashville two games in, and uh, can't wait to read your coverage in The Athletic tomorrow. And uh, here's a word from one of our sponsors. Well, my thanks to Joe Smith for joining this week's edition of Straight from the Source, a big, big week of wild news. And thanks to Joe for helping me break it down. The Athletic Hockey Show is actually published five times a week with our hosts, Ian Mendez, Julian McKenzie, Haley Salvian, Sean Gentili, Max Boltman, and Corey Promen with contributions from our writers, including Mark Lazarus, Jesse Granger, Down Goes Brown, Shana Goldman, and yours truly. You can find episodes on the Athletic Podcast Network and wherever you download your podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Athletics NHL YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show. Again, that's youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show. The at is the at symbol, by the way. You can also get a new subscription to the athletic. It makes a great, great holiday present, whatever you're celebrating. You can get a one year subscription for $19.99 a year or a two year subscription for just $39.99. You can go to the athletic.com slash gift sale for that. Again, the athletic.com slash gift sale. But go before January 1st, 2024, because that's when the offer ends. Again, my special thanks to Joe Smith. I'm Mike Russo from Straight From The Source, and you can join us next time we're on. Straight From The Source.